you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. When I was growing up, I loved to watch old westerns on Saturday afternoons. For some reason, I always gravitated to the Native American Indian side of the problem rather than the cowboy side, except for John Wayne, of course. I think I was just enamored with how the Native American characters spoke using various cultural idioms that were different than ours. One of my personal favorites was, he speaks with a forked tongue. I always pictured a fork stuck in the middle of someone's tongue, not quite understanding what they meant by that. Well, I know what it means now, and you probably do too. But just to make sure we're on the same page, here are some definitions for you. To speak with a forked tongue means to tell lies, to not be truthful, to be deceptive. To speak with a forked tongue may be interpreted as saying one thing but meaning another. It is an insult to tell someone that he is speaking with a forked tongue, as it is the same as calling someone a liar. So you might ask, where did this idiom come from? Almost all authorities believe that the metaphor of a forked tongue refers to the forked tongue of a snake. A snake's forked tongue is called a bifurcated tongue. Well then, there's this more interesting information. The origins of the idea of the forked tongue, meaning to tell lies, is at least 500 years old and is probably derived from the image of Satan as a snake, as depicted in the Adam and Eve story in the Old Testament. Or this, the expression forked tongue, meaning speaking deceptively or lying, is first seen in the early 1500s, predating the first English settlement in America by about 100 years. The term speak with a forked tongue became more popular in the 1700s, at which time it was ascribed to a translation of a Native American idiom. There you go. But then there's this. It's possible that such an idiom existed in some Native American languages, though it is just as likely that it was the English speakers who gave the term to the Native Americans. Sometimes this phrase is rendered without the article A as in speak with forked tongue. This is a reference to a stereotypical depiction of how a Native American spoke, especially in Western novels and films, and is generally considered offensive. Oh yes, I'm sure it was offensive in old westerns, and it certainly is now. But it does give us a picture, doesn't it, of a communication problem that is as old as Adam and Eve and that serpent, lying and deception. Well, join me as we dig down deep and work together to get to the heart of our lying tongues today. Now that we have looked at the basics of biblical communication in our first podcast of season 10, we'll begin looking at specific uses of our words. Always remember that since God created us in His image as communicators, we are to learn His way of speaking and listening. Now, I think it goes without saying that no one really likes being lied to. No one enjoys being deceived by another person. 
Truth-telling is such an integral part of a healthy relationship of any kind. Marriage, family, friendship, work relationships. Since God is perfect truth, He commands His people not to lie. So why is it so easy for us to lie, to deceive, to shade the truth, to say words that are not fully truthful? Well, we'll get back to that question in a little bit later, but first we need to lay the foundation of Scripture. We begin in Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments. In verse 16, we read these words, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, of course, as one of the Ten Commandments, this verse is familiar to most Christians. But notice first that God did not command, do not lie. Instead, he said we are not to bear false witness. So we need to talk about what it means to be a false witness. First, what is a witness? A witness is someone who sees something happen firsthand. To be a witness, you have to have firsthand knowledge by observation or experience. Then, by definition, a false witness is someone who has observed or experienced something but doesn't tell the truth about it. Or it could be someone who claims to have been a witness but never saw it firsthand. This verse is repeated again before the Israelites enter the promised land in Deuteronomy 5, verse 20. Giving a false witness was forbidden among God's people. Now, you may remember that God set another law in Israel when it came to accusing someone of a crime. You had to have two or three witnesses or the accusation was just not heard. Obviously, this kept one person from lying about another and ending up in a he said, she said sort of situation. So it was a serious crime in Israel to make a false accusation or give false information about what you saw. A false witness could lead a person to be declared guilty for a crime he or she didn't commit. A false witness could cast doubt on a person's character, thereby staining his or her reputation for good. So God had more to say about this communication problem in Exodus 23, verse 1, which reads, You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a a malicious witness. Now, we're getting into an area uh, that we call gossip and slander, which we'll talk about in another podcast. But what I want you to see is that Scripture is teaching us that giving a false witness comes from a heart that simply wants to hurt another person. This is one of the main reasons we bear false witness, to do harm to another, especially to their good name. When we purposely spread a false report, we are acting out of malice and hatred. Well, let's read another section of Scripture, Deuteronomy 19, verses 16 through 19. It reads, If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Wow, according to God's law in Israel... Did you hear what happened when a witness was caught lying? He received the punishment that he was trying to bring upon his brother. Can you imagine falsely accusing a friend of murder and being caught in that lie? 
you would end up getting the punishment for actual murder, even though you didn't actually murder. You'd have to die. Talk about a serious sin. According to God, this level of punishment was necessary to purge evil from the land. Speaking lies against another just grows evil in a community, in a church, in a family. Bearing any sort of false witness totally destroys the sense of justice among people. All right, let's read another verse to give us an accurate sense of what giving a false testimony does to us. Here's the psalmist in Psalm 27, verse 12. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. The psalmist knew the pain of being lied about. You are truly doing violence against someone when you lie to others about what that person has done or not done. Knowing how devastating it is to be a victim of a false witness should keep us from becoming a liar ourselves. This can be one of our prime motivations. It is certainly not loving someone to share a falsehood about them. It's not compassionate or caring in any way. So let's be practical. If we stopped and thought about what pain we would bring in someone's life, then we would think twice about telling a lie, of speaking with a forked tongue. Of course, there's the problem too, isn't it? We probably don't like the person in the first place when we are spreading lies about him or her. So we must repent of our hatred towards another before we'll stop being a false witness. Well, the Bible has much more to say about this problem of the tongue, this ability we have of lying and deceiving. Much truth is found in the book of Proverbs. Listen to Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Well, in this master list of seven things God hates, seven things that are an abomination to him, he lists two things that have to do with lying, a lying tongue and a false witness who breathes out lies. Now, this may sound like God is just being repetitive, but I think he's showing the two major aspects of lying to us here, lying to another person and lying about another person. God hates falsehood so much because he is the God of truth, and God knows what lying does to relationships how it connects to the other things he hates. For example, lying certainly sows discord among brothers, doesn't it? Lying also proceeds from a proud heart, from haughty eyes. Making wicked plans comes with lying and deceitfulness as well. Lying is against everything that is pure and right. Let's press forward with more biblical principles about the problem of lying. Listen to Proverbs 24, 28, which reads, Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Now we have the connection of lying to the word deceive. The etymology of the word deceive is interesting. The prefix D means from, and the root sieve means to grasp or to take. 
To deceive is to take from, to ensnare, to cheat. Is the act of manipulation of people and circumstances to take hold of what you want. So a false witness is also a deceptive one. We're trying to deceive the judge. We're trying to deceive another person for some sort of gain on our part. Maybe you lie about another simply to get him or her in some sort of trouble. Maybe you want to see someone who is on top be brought down to the bottom. Of course, it may be out of some sort of revenge to speak untruthfully about your neighbor. We will return to this issue again when we discuss the communication problem known as gossip. But any sort of deception goes right against God's character. God never has to deceive to grasp on to what he wants or to have an outcome in his favor. Let's go to Proverbs 12, 22 that reads, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. We can speak with lying lips for a variety of reasons. We can want to avoid the consequences of being untruthful. We can want to cover up a sin. We can be working to make ourselves look better than we really are, stretching the truth, which is the nice way to say lying. We can be afraid of telling the truth to another because it will hurt feelings or give us some sort of relational consequence. Whatever the reason, lying is the opposite of acting faithfully before the Lord and on behalf of another person. Lying is always faithless and never faith-filled. It is not only being unfaithful to another person, it is displaying a lack of faith in the Lord. At the heart of the matter is that we are choosing to trust in ourselves rather than trust in the Lord. Our disobedience in lying and deceiving another reflects the heart problem of self-trust. Okay, just one more proverb to help us think biblically about lying. Proverbs 21, verse 6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Sometimes lying is simply about getting something we really want and can't get it in an honest fashion. Can you relate to that? This is where lying becomes cheating or stealing, finding a way to get what we want without honest work or honest words. According to this proverb, that sort of lying is a trap. It's a snare of death. It's a fleeting vapor. Something here for the moment, then poof, it's gone. It is so easy to think temporally about life, isn't it? To become so invested in the things of this world, in the thrill of the moment, that we're willing to lie for them, willing to deceive and manipulate for what we want. God says that it isn't worth it. It's just a trap of the devil. Well, now let's move to the New Testament on the subject of lying and deceiving. We'll start with one of the most glaring examples of lying and its amazing consequences. We find this true story in Acts 5, the time of the early church where many people were coming to know Jesus and being added to his church. We start in verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. If you recall, in the early church, Christians were regularly selling things to help the poor. They were following the law of love, loving their neighbors as themselves. 
But Ananias and Sapphira determined to lie about the money in order to keep some back for themselves. We don't know what exactly was going on in their hearts, do we? Maybe they wanted to simply look good to other people, to have people think highly of their great sacrifice for others without really doing the actual sacrifice. They may have believed that this was a harmless little lie. What does it matter if they were a bit deceptive? They still gave a bunch of their money away and only kept back part of it. But you probably know what the consequences were. Listen to verses 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now, there's several important principles to help us with our own lying tongues. First, Peter reasoned with Ananias that this land was his property. The church was not forcing Ananias to sell it. God was not requiring that he sell it and give away all the proceeds. This was an unnecessary lie. He could have either kept the land or simply gave part of the proceeds and told the truth about it. So the principle is that our lies are so often unnecessary and illogical. They make no sense. They don't really accomplish what we hope they will, but often the exact opposite, especially because we often get caught in our lies. Secondly, we learn the principle that Satan fills our heart with lies so that we end up lying with our lips. Now, that doesn't mean we aren't responsible for our lies. It just teaches us the reality that the father of lies is at work in our lives when we lie. He wants to fill our hearts with lies so that we become lying people. Because Satan is the great deceiver. He's been lying from the beginning. Maybe he got Ananias and Sapphira to believe that this was some sort of noble lie or that this lie would only make them look good in front of others. And then third, Peter makes it clear that Ananias and Sapphira weren't really lying to him or the apostles or the church or to poor people, but to the Holy Spirit. This was the real offense that cost them their lives. Lying is a sin against God because it is a direct violation of God's character and his perfect holiness. So it is always essential to remind yourself that when you lie to another person or about another person, you are lying to God. He is the one we must confess our sin to, and then, of course, confess to the person you lied to or lied about. This is always important to teach our children as well. Okay, now on to another important verse, which helps us to deal with this problem and learn to communicate in a biblical way. Listen to Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. It would be easy to think that as Christians, we are simply to stop lying, that we just need to obey God and not tell any more lies. Well, according to Ephesians 5, that is only part of the process of true biblical change. Yes, certainly we need to stop lying and deceiving others, or as Paul puts it, put away falsehood. But Paul is actually assuming that once you become a new creation, you will already be in the process of putting off a lying tongue. Lying characterizes unbelievers, not believers. 
not lying is actually not enough when it comes to biblical communication. Christians are to start speaking the truth with our neighbors. The truth is that just because we aren't lying doesn't mean we are truth tellers. We can just keep our mouths closed and say nothing. See, I'm not lying, Lord. I didn't say anything wrong against another. But did you actually tell the truth? When a person has a habitual lying problem, true change only occurs when he or she becomes a truth teller. We are to speak the truth to one another because we are members of one another. As Christians, we are connected to Christ and therefore to one another. We need to think about the fact that we are called to be in unity to one another in our marriages, in our families, in our churches. And that unity requires truth-telling. Lying must be put away from all biblical relationships. Well, we need to glean just a bit more from other passages of Scripture. Listen to Colossians 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. This is Paul's matter-of-fact bottom line when it comes to the sin of lying. Lying is a part of the old self, not the new self. It belongs to this sinful world, not to the kingdom of God. Lying should never characterize the life of the believer. And yet, we are still often tempted to lie to others even to those who are closest to us. So we need God's grace to constantly put falsehood away from us. Now I want to jump back to the Old Testament for just a minute. Listen to Psalm 15, verses 1 through 3. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. This is a passage we need to talk more about in the future. Do you really know why speaking the truth is so important to God? Dwelling on God's holy hill in the kingdom of God is all about speaking truth, not only from our lips, but in our hearts. The person who is stuck in habits of lying is first and foremost self-deceived. He is not a person who lives deeply in truth, but traffics in the world of lies. We need the work of the Spirit on our hearts to be able to be kingdom dwellers, to live with God, even as sinners. Truthfulness is so essential to not only our life with God, but our relationship with others. Many a marriage has been destroyed by habitual lies and deception. Manipulation will kill friendships and other family relationships. Lies only separate people and ends up doing evil to other people. Now back to the New Testament in Mark 14, verses 55 to 58. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. I know you know that Jesus died on the cross, but we often forget about the fact that he was lied about. 
that there were people who bore false witness against him. Jesus had to suffer the pain of being lied about. So if you're listening to this podcast and currently in a place where you are the victim of lies rather than the liar, Jesus knows all about that too. He knows what it means to be victimized by false witnesses, by lying words. We often work overtime to try to defend ourselves, to try to eradicate all lies against us. Sometimes we do need to stand up and counter the liar. And yet, Jesus did not defend himself, but entrusted himself to God and his will for him. He bore that sin of lying as well as your sins of lying, so you don't have to live your life as a liar. Jesus is the answer to our problem of lying. In order to speak the truth to others, we need to be in Christ firmly in the grip of our truthful Savior. Well, let's end in Revelation 22, verses 14 to 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Wow, what a dramatic picture at the end of God's word. We have two groups of people here, the insiders and the outsiders. Inside the city of God are those who are wearing the washed, cleansed robes of the righteousness of Christ. They have the right to the tree of life. They are in the kingdom of God. Then, sadly, there are the outsiders. As expected, we have dogs, not literally, sorcerers, sexually immoral people, murderers, and idolaters. All the evil people of this world are outside of God's kingdom, outside of King Jesus. They're lost in their sins. But you heard that last group who are outside of the city of God. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Everyone who hates Jesus, hates the truth, and loves falsehood. That's sobering, isn't it? As Christians, we cannot love Jesus and love and practice falsehood. Certainly, we can fall into the sin of lying from time to time. But confession of our sin and true repentance must always follow. Again, God is a God of truth, so his people must be lovers of the truth. It is essential that we abhor lying, that we resist deceiving and manipulating others. We can never be ones with a forked tongue like the great serpent himself. Growing in our truth-telling is something we must all work on continually. We need the spirit of truth to grow us in all truth all the time. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.